true believers and strap in as we journey with Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Excelsior! Not to mention the evil genius and brilliant leadership of myself. Up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! joining me for this very special event. This is the premiere episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. For joining me, my name is Matt Spectro, and thank you for joining us on this exciting journey. You're probably wondering, what is this podcast I'm listening to? Well, I'm going to give you the 911 or the 411, whatever it's called. <laughs> I used to do a podcast called Truth, Justice, and the New England Pro Wrestling Way with my friend Julian Starr. And for reasons uh, I'm not going to bore you with, that came to an end. But I found I really liked the podcast format. I wanted to continue to do it. So I figured, what can I do? What's my other love other than professional wrestling? And the one thing that's been in my life since I was a child, superheroes. Always loved superheroes. Always loved comic books. I wanted to do a podcast that wasn't controversial, wasn't political, wasn't socially uh, involved. I figured, what's less controversial than superheroes? So... I started the podcast, Matt Spectra Through the Multiverse. Every week, we're going to review something from the wonderful world of superhero animation. The only guidelines we have here is it's got to be animated and it's got to be based on a comic book. Plus, I've also been a big fan of the old team-up books, Marvel Team-Up, Brave and the Bull, DC Comics Presents, so I decided to make it a team-up podcast. Every week, the guests will come on and we're going to discuss superhero animation. Let's get it started, everybody. And for the very first episode, episode one, I'm going to be joined by... He's the man who pretty much got me started on comic books. He's the older brother of this host, and he's the uh, contributor of the Tales of the Shadow Man anthology books. Welcome to the show, Travis. Hey, man. <laughs> he's a man of exciting words. Welcome to the multiverse. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, you've been a longtime comic fan as well. so uh... Yeah, I've been doing this. Let's see. I started when I was, got to be 10 or 11, so we're looking at about almost 40 years of reading these things and watching stuff. So yeah, big chunk of my life. So I think it's superhero animation. You know, there's a, an endless amount of material to do. Oh yeah, there is so much stuff out there. It's kind of amazing. We're in a golden age of it right now. Since this is the very first episode, we decided to start with the cartoon that started it all. We're going to go with the Man of Steel himself, Superman. Yep, these are the, uh, the Fleischer Brothers animation from the 1940s. Yep, we're going to be doing the very first, not only Superman cartoon, but the very first superhero cartoon that I could find any record of. We're going back to 1941. Believe it or not, god dang, a long time. Oh yeah, and these are pretty amazing stuff. I mean, they only did about a dozen of them, but they hold up really well. And this is, Fleischer is the same guy, history lesson guys, is the same guys who brought us Betty Boop and Popeye. So, they have quite a stable of characters. So, like you had said, yeah, Max Fleischer had done it, and Paramount had approached them about doing, according to my research anyway, about doing Superman cartoons, because Superman had appeared 1938, if I'm not mistaken, three years prior. Yeah, that sounds right. And so they wanted to cash in on his immense popularity. Now, at the time, Fleischer Studio, that did this cartoon, they said they had a lot on their plate. They didn't think they could handle it, according to the research. So, instead of turning Paramount down, 
they initially told him it would cost about $100,000 to produce an episode, which was unheard of back in 1941. Oh, yeah, that's crazy money back then, and for animation, which was, you know, Walt Disney is just starting, so animation is just this cute little side thing for kids. It wasn't a big industry at the time. Much to their surprise, Paramount didn't say they'd do 100000 but they were open to negotiation, and eventually agreed to an amount of $50,000 an episode. Hmm, that's pretty cool. I did not know about that part of the deal. And at that point, that had never been heard of. So they went to work on the Superman cartoon. Now, um, I always like to give credit where credit is due on this podcast. Superman was created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster. So they got to work. Some interesting bits I read was this is uh, pretty much the beginning of Superman flying. Up until that point, he pretty much leaped buildings in a single bound. Yeah, it's kind of weird with Superman because a lot of the stuff that we take as the canon started in the cartoons and then later on in the radio show he had. In the comics, yeah, he was just a very strong guy. He leapt from building to building and a lot of supporting cast and rogues gallery started in the side stuff. They really helped build up the mythology. And again, this could be an urban legend. They said that they animated him leaping the buildings and they quote, thought it looked silly. So they went to DC about changing it to flight. That's possible. I mean, there's a couple scenes, if you've seen them, that look fairly cool. He's jumping these crazy distances. But yeah, him kind of bouncing around the city after a while, I could see not, not being as inspiring as they probably hoped. And plus, this is where the old, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman originated from as well. Yeah, they have the whole tagline. They do the mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent bit. And they, yeah, like I said, the cartoon and the radio show are a big part of building up what we know of as Superman today. So it was released uh, September 26, 1941. The first episode was originally just called Superman, but it was later named Superman and the Mad Scientist. It did actually receive an Academy Award nomination. That's cool. I did not know that. But if my research is correct, it lost out to a Disney Pluto cartoon. Oh, that's got to hurt. Now, uh, the voice of Superman was one Bud Collier, who had actually done Superman's voice on the uh, Adventures of Superman radio show. Yep, he was the radio guy. And he actually later on... In the 60s when they did a cartoon, they actually got him to come back and do the voice. So he's got a long relationship with Superman. Plus a little uh, fun fact, he was the host of the original To Tell the Truth and Beat the Clock game show as well. There's a resume. <laughs> and uh, Joan Alexander was the voice of Lois Lane. Lois Lane, who was also created by Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster. So Superman was the one that started it all. Superman really is the character that started the entire superhero genre. There had been before that, like the Phantom... The Shadow, the oh, yeah. Green Hornet. And there were other attempts in the comic books, but most of the comic books were um, adventure heroes, you know, like soldiers and cowboys, or like the pulp guys, Doc Savagey kind of stuff. And this was one of the first big superheroes that caught on, and it just opened the floodgates between him and then Batman and Wonder Woman showing up. The comic book industry just was huge in the 40s. Everybody wanted to try and come up with the next one. And for you younger viewers, this was not television. Television was not a thing. These were animated shorts that would run before movies. So unless you were buying a ticket to go to the, the movie house, you were not seeing these cartoons. Yeah, back when you'd go to the theater, they'd have a newsreel, which was some bunch of news stories. They'd usually have a couple cartoons. You sometimes would get a chapter of a cliffhanger serial. Yeah, it was kind of an all-day event going to the theater sometimes, especially like the kid matinees. They'd play a ton of stuff. So... Without further ado, we're going to see if this holds up to the test of time. Feel free, if you can find it, to watch along with us. We're going to watch Superman and the Mad Scientist. And when we come back, I'm Matt Spector through the multiverse. We're going to review it. Stay with us.
1941, the president-shattering year. With war on three continents threatening to engulf the Americas, Franklin Delano Roosevelt stays at the helm, first United States president ever to take the third solemn oath of office. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Help you, God. So help me, God. For American battleships guarding our far-flung coastline, the watchword is, remember Pearl Harbor. In the skies, America's men of the air prepare for their test by fire. The end of 1941 finds the free men of the world united and unafraid, come what may. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! And we're back. We just sat through... Superman in the Mad Side. Sat through. You made it sound like you had to endure something there. Oh, what in the different way? We just watched Superman in the Mad Side. Better. Going in, I didn't realize. I was a little surprised by this. Uh, it was only 11 minutes long. Yeah, none of them are huge. They're all about 10 to 15 minutes tops. Which should have occurred to me because back then, this is the same era of the old Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, Tom and Jerry, all those cartoons. Yeah, this isn't, isn't like a show where it was a half hour episode. These were just really short little cartoons that were done before the movie. So we started with the Paramount logo, uh, and then we went to the classic, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Yep, very cool. Though I always wonder, the people in the crowd who got those three things mixed up, how do those even look alike? Yeah, that would imply that you're mistaking a plane for a bird. It's and a- for a guy, yeah. You're just Either it's a really big bird or a very small plane. But right when they say, no, it's Superman, they go into some really kick-ass 40s-type superhero music. Oh, he has a very, yeah, very gung-ho theme song in this one. Very dramatic. Directed by David Fleischer, the brother of Max Fleischer. So you're not crazy. There were two of them. That's what I thought, but I kept mixing it up. So I worried when I first said that, that, oh, my God, no, I screwed that up. Then I saw his name in the titles and was very relieved. What surprised me was that they credited Jerry Seigel and Joel Schuster in the credits for creating the Superman comic strip. Yeah, they got credit in a lot of the things, the serials, the radio show and whatnot. They just didn't get a lot of money. As time went on, that kind of went away for a bit. Recently, with the lawsuit the estates went through, those all those credits have come back. But yeah, they were always in those things. The serials, the cartoons were very good about crediting DC Comics. They even list what comics you can buy the Superman stories from, both Action Comics and Superman. And then they would list the creators. They listed it as Superman Magazines. Yeah, that was. I don't know what it was. That's a 40s thing. I don't know if that was, they hadn't become comic books with their own thing, but they were kind of put under the umbrella title of comic magazines. I don't know if that was sort of a help with the shipping costs or whatnot, or what's going on. All right, so you're probably wondering about this uh, super professional podcast, but we have a third guest here, my daughter, so uh, uh, bear with us. On <laughs> she has a lot of input on the... Uh... She has strong opinions. So we start off with the narrator. Talking about the uh, the green star of Krypton. 
going a little bit of the origin of it's a planet of supermen i believe he even says yeah that in some of the early stories they weren't just advanced from us he didn't get any of that stuff from coming to earth everybody from krypton already had that stuff the superpowers they were advanced from us that kind of got tweaked as we went along krypton explodes and the rocket goes to earth as the sole survivor of krypton yeah, that's one of the other things that it, it kind of amuses me with this cartoon. His whole origin is covered in like 15 seconds. It's like, bam, the planet blew up. Oh, by the way, he's here at Earth. And hey, what do you know? Now he's an adult. It's just like, oh, really? It took Zack Snyder like three hours to do this. And the Fleischer brothers covered it in yeah, less than 20 seconds. And they say he was put into an orphanage. Yeah, I forgot that they completely skipped the Kents. In some other stuff, they reference his parents. But they don't become a big deal until, I think, almost the 60s. They just kind of get referenced as that kindly old couple that took him in. Yeah, it was just really surprising that he went to an orphanage. And then before you know it, boom, he's an adult. He's Superman. And then they say when he's an adult, he is. We hear it probably for the first time ever. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Which So it's pretty awesome animation of him jumping that <laughs> yeah you can kind of see why they moved from the original he was jumping around to making him fly because once or twice it looks kind of cool but when he's bouncing all over the city like you know some kind of weird rabbit it kind of takes away a little bit the flying's definitely a, a better move and now this also surprised me the narrator said he's superman fighting for truth and justice but there's no american way I, that kind of comes and goes i know that's in the tv show and it might be in this in the radio show but I think that's kind of a later thing when you know the war was in full effect or even in the 50s, there's a lot of very rah-rah America and that became a permanent part. Yeah, I was um, surprised. I always thought the truth, justice, and the American way was there from the get-go, but Mazda's cartoon, it was just truth and justice. Oh, he had to start simple. He built his way up to the American way. So then we open up to, we're at the Daily Planet, even though it's never, did I see it, where it was actually referenced as the I Daily don't think Planet. It's, yeah, I don't think it's named in the cartoon at all. And they, while we see his editor... I don't think he gets a name at all. He's just the chief. They're looking at a uh, a note they got from the mad scientist. It says that he has his electrophasian ray. Is that what it is? It's a technical scientific term. Don't worry about it too much. And um, he says uh, with this electrophasian ray, there's going to be total destruction for those that laughed at me and failed to hear his warning at midnight. Yeah, the implication seems to be that this guy has been around and has pulled something a couple times and this is just he's this is the final thing why um is he sending this to the newspaper and why aren't the police or military involved in this guy yeah you think he would send it to like the radio or something so at least it would get out there a little quicker but this is pre-internet where the newspaper was a big deal that was where you got most of your news and information so uh the chief is going to assign lois and clark to this uh but lois says she wants to do it on her own yes one thing i did like about these these cartoons is lois i mean she gets kidnapped a bunch but she is not really a wussy damsel she is from the get-go very straightforward very no nonsense you know and clark is just racing to try and keep up with her she's like i don't need this big lug following me around and right off the bat she's a pilot she flies a plane yeah i know and was he able to find the bad guy's headquarters? Again, there is no waste in this cartoon. We are not standing still for five minutes because we have got a lot to take care of. And yeah, all of a sudden, she has her own private plane. She finds his headquarters. No problem. She is on the job. So then we go to it. It's an observatory on top of a cliff. Yeah, this guy can't be doing too bad. He owns a tower on top of a mountain and an enormous amount of scientific equipment. 
including what looks like a throne room in the beginning. And I guess it's not like a normal terrorism. There's no demands. It's just he is warning and he's going to blow some shit up. I guess He's one of those spurned scientists whose genius was not acknowledged, who has decided, well, I will show them. I will blow up a bunch of stuff. Also, one of the bits I love about this is the voice of the evil scientist is the same guy who does the voice of Popeye. I didn't actually. So you can kind of, if you've seen a lot of Popeye cartoons, you can hear it in his voice. And you just kind of go, did Popeye have a brother that went bad? What's going on here? The question I have was, had Lex Luthor been introduced at this point in time? I don't think so. There are a lot of generic mad scientists that show up, especially in this cartoon. If you see more of these, every other one features a mad scientist. And a lot of why I think it's all new bad guys in this is that he did not have a huge rogues gallery. In the beginning, Superman was going up against gangsters, crooked politicians. Really, you would get the occasional mad scientist, but it's not until later on when they started creating supervillains to make him break a sweat. Plus, our villain, the mad scientist, he has a uh, sidekick. An evil purple vulture. Yeah, that is just such a Disney sidekick. and He's a great character, but you're just like, you're sitting in your tower on top of a mountain talking to your pet bird. I think you have more issues than we're aware of here, guy. I'm loving this vulture has got like oodles of personality throughout this cartoon. He is a great sidekick. Uh, He's just hanging out with him, checking everything out. He's the one that spots that Lois's plane has landed and warns the mad scientist. Then the scientist is going to, he starts turning on the machine. This vulture is loving the knobs and all the things going oh, on. Oh, yeah. It's like a giant. It's all flashing lights and moving bits. It's kind of amazing to watch. The other thing that cracks me up with the mad scientist, they never name the guy. It's not like, oh, it's evil Professor So-and-so. He is just, and he's referred to as the mad scientist. Like, he's the only one in Metropolis. That's his title. Yeah, mad scientist. There's a lot of mad scientists out there that they just go crazy for whatever reason. They never really get explained. And he is one of them. Now, Lois shows up. Apparently, she can land a plane on this cliff. Yeah, it's it's apparently a big spot, but it doesn't look it. So you're like, how did you do that? That's a pretty impressive landing because it looks like there's barely a parking space on top of the cliff with the tower. And what I liked especially is um, she knocks on the door and there's yes. two giant bolts. The scientist opens one and you guessed it. The vulture opens the second one. <laughs> yes. I love how they're both pressing their ear against the door, listening, waiting for her to knock. I guess what's Lois's plan at this point? Like, uh... I, I do love that. He opens the door. She just go, hi, I'm a reporter in this really normal voice. And he does not even pretend that he is not crazy and evil. He just immediately grabs her. It's like, nope, tying you up. I'm not even going to pretend that I'm just doing normal stuff here. So Lois can find this guy's headquarters. Why aren't the military, the police, or even Superman there at this point? She's Lois Lane, man. She can do stuff like that. That's it. I guess midnight does strike. So like his letter, they didn't heed his warning. He blows up a bridge. That scene is kind of impressive. I mean, for something in a cartoon, you can see amongst the debris a couple cars falling into the river. So you kind of are watching this going, oh, this is cute. This is fun. Wow. A bunch of people just died. Again, one of those things we sit there and go, Zack Snyder, you did not invent this stuff. We were doing this stuff long before you showed up. Plus, you hear a radio report that there's pedestrians and cars in the river. Yeah, it very much goes from kind of fun and adventure to there's some serious collateral damage happened when this guy hit. Where is Superman at this point? Still at his office. And then we get the very first, the very the famous gotta change. 
And what I love is in the cartoon, they do this in the cartoon, and this started in the radio show, that little bit where he has the Clark Kent voice, and then he goes, this is a job for Superman. And the tone just changes, and you just go, oh, yeah, here we go. And then it's immediately got to find a place to change. So let's recap at this point. A mad scientist has sent a letter to heed his warning. Lois has gone to get him. Midnight has come. He's blown up a bridge. At this point, when, when is Superman going to actually do something? Any second now. He's kicking in. But yeah, the, the heeding the warning thing kind of baffles me because I'm like, what were we supposed to do exactly? The, the note's very, this seems like he's just swearing revenge. It's not like there was a ransom note attached. And Superman apparently didn't take it all that seriously because he did nothing to stop it. In fact, he did nothing to help after it. He's hanging out at his desk. Yeah. And then when the bad stuff comes, then he shows up and kicks into action. So you had brought up, uh, he changes in the stock room, but unfortunately the stock room doesn't have a window. It, that, one, that scene I kind of love because he leans out the door, he kind of looks around, and then he has to walk through the newsroom to the nearest window. And later on, he'll pick a room with a window. I mean, this is his first episode, man. He, he's just on the job, new. He doesn't have this all worked out. So I guess he's not that concerned about his secret identity. But yeah, the, the stock room thing, you're like, um, you should have picked a room with a window. That's my main complaint. So you got to work on that. Our mad scientist then shoots what appears like he's shooting the Daily Planet. It definitely looks like a newspaper. I think it's meant to be the Daily Planet building, yeah, because it looks like the same one. And when they show inside, it's a whole bunch of the same kind of guys with those little visors on, working at typewriters, running around once the building starts to shake. And it doesn't like blow a hole in it it doesn't like start to crumble like an implosion it just starts bending it looks like the ray like melted the foundation and it starts to topple and then we get that amazing scene where superman leaps to the other building and just basically picks it up and the building is is visibly almost leaning it's kind of an amazing bit and it is a great scene when he starts to push it back yeah, because it's not like it's breaking. It, it literally looks like it's bending. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tree toppling over, not like a building t- getting taken out. And I love the bit where he pushes it back up straight, and it starts to go a little bit the other way. So he's got to fly around and grab the flagpole at the top and kind of yank it back. Now, again, I have to be the... Uh, I got to be the one to bring this up. Wouldn't the flagpole thing just break off? I think we one of Superman's established superpowers that we don't talk about much is his ability to go screw you physics. Because yes, that where he is grabbing that building, that concrete should have crumbled. He's pushing so much pressure on that building, he should have just pushed through the wall and come out the other side. But instead, he lifts it up and puts it back in place. And no effort to repair the thing, he just puts it back the way it was, and it stays there just fine. Superman can basically just slap science around and do whatever he wants. I guess it's the old, they don't make them like they used to, I guess. <laughs> so then Superman, he's going to go right to the, finally he's going to go to the source of all this problem, and he blocks the laser. Yeah, the laser scene, I kind of love the laser scene, and because one, there's that great scene where he's gets in the way and it hits him in the chest, and then he starts flying, kind of pushing against it. And so the guy hits a switch, and it just, it hits him hard enough to send him tumbling. I like in these cartoons that they put him up against a menace that there's always that moment where he has to break a sweat. And you go, oh, okay, this isn't easy for him. He's actually struggling to do this. He gets knocked to the ground by the ray and then has to get back up and go, nope, going to do this again. 
So a solution to the ray, once it's knocked him down, is uh, he starts punching it. He punches the laser. One of my favorite scenes in this entire series is, I mean, in, in the beginning, it's hitting his chest and he's doing the dramatic pose. And then he kind of puts his hands out flat like he's pushing against it. And then he just starts punching the ray and it works. And it's kind of amazing. It's kind of that over the top ridiculous larger than life stuff that just is why i kind of love superman is he will do stuff like that in the comic books they went nuts with it in the 60s and there's a little bit of it here of him just busting loose and just doing crazy heroic things it's a lot of fun yeah i hope that during the break you actually listening watch this episode because we really can't do justice to describing superman punching a laser no, there are bits of this which you will watch and go, what's going on? And then they'll parts and go, that's kind of amazing. You just kind of have to let your brain go and go with this. So finally, Superman, he punches his way up to the source, to the cannon itself, and then he ties it in a knot. Yes, he ties the ray gun in a knot to stop it. Despite the fact that the scientist has that big dial lever where it's got numbers on it. I really don't know what the numbers mean, except that there's more laser. Yeah, and uh, this causes the whole thing to just start blowing up and explode. Yeah, all that energy goes back into the machine, and it just, everything blows. Apparently, uh, there was not a lot of safety standards on ray guns in the 40s, because this thing is just an ocean nightmare. It takes out the entire building when it goes. Well, maybe the uh, scientist is one of those libertarians who didn't believe in government regulation. (laughs) Probably, but yeah, it just... Huge inferno, exploding bits, shrapnel all over the place, and Lois is still sitting in the middle of it, tied to a chair. And this is another favorite part of mine. Everyone's trying to get out of the building before it blows up. The vulture doesn't fly. He runs down the stairs. Yeah, he follows after the mad scientist. He doesn't, you know, he waits for him. Yeah. He's a very loyal sidekick that but way. He doesn't fly. He's a bird. It doesn't fly to get away. He he walks, runs down the stairs. Yeah, he runs away with everybody else. If I haven't said it already, I really the vulture was my favorite part of this whole uh cartoon. He, he was tremendous. He is a great sidekick. Superman gets Lois and the mad scientist gets him both. He, he grabs everybody before he blows, because yeah, he's a nice guy that way. He's not gonna let him die in the machine. Though I didn't realize this before. He grabs the mad scientist, they fly off. The vulture just goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess maybe he can come back in the sequel or something. But yeah, I, at first I was worried. I'm like, did, did the vulture die in that? One of my favorite characters? And he just kind of flies off like, all right, maybe he's the one who's going to get revenge on Superman for all this. And then Superman goes right to the jail. <laughs> yes. Throws the night scientist right into jail. And this is, again, spoiler, if you're going to watch the rest of these, a lot of these, when he goes up against a mad scientist or an actual supervillain, ends with him throwing a guy in a jail cell. So I just picture that there's like an entire floor of Metropolis prison, which is made up of nothing but mad scientists that Superman has tossed in there. And there's also a photographer right there to take his picture the minute he's in the jail cell. Oh, yeah. We do the fade out to the newspaper and you can see in the credits, Lois got the story. Because, you know, Clark is a nice guy that way. Yeah, that did bother me. He's like, nice job, nice scoop, Lois. And she she takes full credit, even though all she did was get kidnapped. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's a lot of these where she scoops out. Like I said, I kind of like the animation Lois in this one because she is crazy feisty. She does a lot of this stuff, not because she's a dumb damsel, but because she's taking a chance. You know, like this one. She goes, oh, I have a lead where the mad scientist is. Screw telling the cops. I'm going to go there and confront him myself. You know, that she does a lot of that sort of stuff. And then she gets the story because Clark's just such a nice guy. He doesn't make a fuss about it. 
And Superman then does probably the first, which became kind of synonymous with Superman. He uh, winks to the camera. Yep. The classic bit where someone in the cast goes, we couldn't have done this without Superman. And then he does the great wink into the camera to go, yeah, I know. It was all me. And one thing I noticed about this cartoon, there was not very dialogue heavy. There was really not a lot of dialogue. No, there is some in the beginning. And there's just enough to kind of establish stuff. There's the little conversation in the newsroom. There's the overriding narration. The scientist gives a little bit of info about what he's up to. Again, then it's a lot of action scenes. Once you get past this is a job for Superman, it's all action and all business. Earlier, something that happened that would not fly today. Someone in the newsroom was smoking. You could clearly see they had a cigarette with smoke coming out of it. Oh, yeah. And this is back when the, the editor guy, who I don't, we don't name as Perry White until I think later in the comics, he has a cigar going on his desk. He's got an ashtray there. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, in the 40s, everybody smoked. Yeah, it was uh, crazy. But uh, then that, that, that cartoon ended, which, uh, like I said, it was weird because it was so short compared to what I'm used to. They seem longer because they pack a lot of stuff in. There, I mean, there's not a lot of subplot. There's not a lot of, oh, this is going to take us a while to figure out. It is very much boom, boom, boom. Here's the established thing that's going to happen. Oh, no, if this goes bad, something could go really wrong. There's no waiting. It immediately goes bad. The dam breaks. The ray gun hits. And they just pack a whole lot of stuff in here, which is amazing because at the same time, they're building the mythology. And so much of what we know as a Superman comes from these things. But they jam it all into like 10 minutes. There you have it, folks. That's uh, Superman and the Mad Scientist going back to 90. The very first, not only Superman cartoon, but the very first superhero cartoon ever. Every week, we do the spectrometer on a scale of uh, zero to four. What would you give that on the spectrometer? Uh, I, uh, now, and I am aware that the animation is clunky on these, and these are very old school, but I'm going to go four. I love these things. They are, like you said, they are a lot of action and a lot of fun jammed into 10 minutes. The action scenes are amazing and over the top. This is a, we're not going to see stuff like this until like Christopher Reeve shows up because the other live action stuff could never do this. That's what the kind of the fun of these and the radio show is there's no special effects budget. So they can have Superman doing the kind of huge over the top stuff. And it, like I said, there's a great goofy charm to this. The mad scientist with his vulture sidekick, everything happening in 10 minutes. The just ridiculous, I mean, the punching the laser is one of my all time favorite <laughs> Superman moments. I got to rank this two ways. Uh, for my own personal enjoyment on the spectrometer, I'm going to give it three. I really enjoyed it. Superman punched a laser. The vulture was tremendous, enjoyable. Um, quality wise, um, I'll go a little lower, about two and a half. Um, it was good for its time. Some of the animation needed a little work and story, but. Overall, I enjoyed it. I think the animation holds up really well, though. I mean, there's a lot of... You see a lot of cartoons out there from that time period that are not this good. This is really the kind of quality Walt Disney was putting into the big features. Even some... I think this holds up against some of the later cartoons. Some of the, the 60s and 70s cartoons, not great. They were getting really lazy. But even the later stuff, I, I really think these work really well. For modern audiences, they are too quick. And they just kind of do a lot of, you just got to accept this is how it works. But I think if you're going in for just wanting some fun superhero stuff, you don't have to wait for a cool action scene to show up. They just come boom, boom, boom really quickly. Well, which brings up to my next question, which I'm going to ask every week. If a child today in 2021 stumbled across Superman and the Mad Scientist, would they enjoy it? 
I think some of the early stuff, there would be a lot of going, what's going on with that? What's going happening? But I think once they get to the, the action scenes, I think that stuff would grab them. You know, in the later ones, there's a lot of mad scientist stuff. Spoiler, a dinosaur shows up in one. There's killer robots. The intro stuff is very, it's kind of clunky and old school. And you're going to have to explain to them history because nobody's got a cell phone. We're all working at a newspaper, which barely exists now. But once they get to the action scenes, I think they're going to stop and say, okay, that part was kind of cool. I think a young child stumbling on it would enjoy it because it's not very dialogue heavy. They don't need to pay attention a lot. The action sequence are good and colorful. An older kid in 2021, I probably would scoff Like I said, I think it's a partial thing. Some of the dialogue stuff, some of the intro stuff is very quick and a little cheesy. So I can get that part. But I think the, yeah, I think the animation and the action scenes hold up really well. I just think as an intro to Superman, it is a nice bite-sized chunk. But yeah, some of it, and you know, people who have seen stuff, the stuff they can do in live action nowadays, it will seem quaint. I um, mean, a little uh, host note, my stepsons watched it with us. They were uh, less than impressed. Yeah, they were cynical youth of today. I guess when we get them on and the, we'll, they'll, we'll review Teen Titans Go or something, and then uh, that'll make them happy. Yikes. But yeah, like I said, a lot of this stuff, I've seen the animation. I've also watched, I listened to the radio show, which is incredibly cheesy and has a lot of unintentional humor to it. But like I said, I think some of the action... And some, if you're into Superman, I think the larger-than-life stuff is kind of fun. And it's fun to see where we're building the mythology there. This is where all the stuff we know comes from. And that's kind of neat to go back and see it happening. And I will say I was kind of impressed because 1941, that's what, 80 years ago? Is that yeah, the math right? that's 80 right. years ago, the character of Superman himself hasn't changed that much looking at what I see. I don't know about the comics. I haven't read Superman comics in a while, but... A lot of the stuff I see now is not like the new Superman and Lois television show, pre-Zack Snyder Superman. Uh, Superman hasn't changed much over the years. No, he. I mean, they've added stuff and they tweak stuff, but they've always kind of kept that same basic. To a lesser extent, the same things happen with Batman. He's kind of the same character, just a little darker now, but he's always been a little dark. But the, the basic idea of him is pretty solid, and you don't want a monkey with that. The stuff around him can change as the world changes, but he should always be kind of like that. He is that kind of larger-than-life, modern mythology kind of character. He should be the good guy, and I think that's what makes him work and why we're still talking about him 80 years later. Yeah, and you got to wonder, will there ever be... Will they ever create another superhero that will ever reach the pinnacles of a Superman? They were talking about this um, online somewhere because there aren't really new characters coming out that are this huge. The only ones people could mention were like Deadpool and Wolverine, who are both 25 to 30 years old on their own. There isn't a new one holding on or catching on with people. A lot of it is people getting reminded of the old guys and why they're cool. And the superhero movies, I think, are bringing them back. Uh, what did you folks think? Uh, we want to hear your opinion. Anyone who knows me knows I'm all about spirited debates. Operators are standing by for your calls. I always like to hear people. That's half the reason I wanted to have guests on every week is to uh, get their opinion. Besides, who wants to just hear my opinion every single week? Should I re- respond to that? Is that a straight line? <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was leaving should it I open leave, for it. Should I leave that alone so I can get invited back? But if you have an opinion, hey, if you liked uh, Superman the Man Scientist, Great. If you didn't like it, you know, that's fine too. You don't have to necessarily agree with us. I, uh, if you go to my social media and uh, 
Post your comments. Tell us what you think. Did you like it? Did you agree with us? Do you dislike it? We always want to hear from you. I want to thank everyone for joining us here for the very first episode of Matt Spectra Through the Multiverse. I'm going to thank my uh, guest host, my team-up star, Travis. Thank you. This was kind of fun. I hope you'll come back for another episode. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've got comic books. Try and get me to shut up about them is the problem. And uh, going forward, we'll be reviewing uh, all sorts of different uh, cartoons, just as long as they're based on a comic book. So if you go to my social media, my Twitter account, my uh, Facebook, tell us what you'd like to hear about what you'd like to review. Bear with us. The podcast is still new, so we're going to have some uh, bumps in the road going along. It's just going to go up from here. Travis, any final thoughts for us? No, I think I'm good. I think we covered everything. I mean, we can't do an exhaustive uh, analysis of something that was only 11 minutes long. (laughs) It's true. So if you go to my uh, social media, give it a like. If you can subscribe, if you give it a five-star review, if you could recommend other people share with, I really appreciate it. And join us again next week for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse.